Hey everybody, you're listening to episode 76 of Two Views Movies Podcast. Want to ring the bell? All right. Ding, ding. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Two Views Movies Podcast, a spoiler-filled podcast from Kansas City, Missouri, by two guys who love watching movies almost as much as we love arguing about them. I'm Garrett. And I'm Carson. And today we are talking Aquaman, Jason Momoa, latest DC movie. We're, we're about a month behind. We, we saw it about a month ago-ish, uh, but with holidays and everything, we're still playing catch-up, so now you get the long-awaited Aquaman episode from us. And I hope we can remember it. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, without too much spoilers, uh, it, it was challenging for me to remember this. So, good, good segue into how kind of non-memorable I think this movie is. I would agree. <laughs> All right, the letterbox blurb. Let's go. Arthur Curry learns that he is the heir to the underwater kingdom of Atlantis and must step forward to lead his people and be a hero to the world. That is super generic. Directed by James Wan, who did the Conjuring films, Saul, Furious Seven, uh, some other stuff too. It was also written by James Wan and Jeff Johns. And in the cast, we have Jason Momoa, Amber Heard, Willem Dafoe, Patrick Wilson, Dolph Lundgren, Nicole Kidman, Tamora Morrison, known as Django Fett, and Yahya Abdul-Mateen II. It's the long-awaited Aquaman movie, right? Everybody's been kind of chomping at the bit, wondering where they were going to go after Justice League. You know, even a little, he got what? Aquaman first showed up in Batman vs. Superman, right? Yeah, just a brief clip of him swimming underwater. And then, uh, obviously, Justice League, he had a, a bigger role. And I know you and I have differing opinions on Justice League, but we both came out of that thinking, yeah, we want to see a lot more Jason Momoa as Aquaman. Well, he's just a badass in everything and in life. And so <laughs> ma- ma- making Aquaman cool was a is a hard task. But uh, when you cast Momoa... You're just, that's just a brilliant move. Yeah, I mean, we, I think we both gave Snyder a lot of props. Um, you know, I know we both have our issues with Snyder. Sometimes they're the same issues. Sometimes they're different. But I, I think even with James Wan here, I, I feel like Snyder's fingerprints are still all over the DC universe. For right or wrong. But I think the one thing that we both clearly agreed on is that getting away from the blonde-haired, blue-eyed, Aquaman and going to somebody that is like Jason Momoa was a home run in terms of, of casting. No, I, th- I thought it was a great job. Although I will say uh, there's some of these fan art uh, online that they switch characters from Marvel to DC and they had uh, Chris Hemsworth as Aquaman. And I was like, well, that could have worked, you know, <laughs> you know, he, he looks like he could have pulled off the blonde hair, blue eyed Aquaman. Yeah. I, I, I guess I would kind of think that there's not a lot of things Chris Hemsworth would not look the part for. As far as a superhero goes? Uh, I mean, pretty much anything, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> I mean, he's kind of got the same vibe as Momoa, right? Like, he, he's huge. Um, now, he doesn't, you know, have the, the Polynesian vibe, but he's, he's huge. He's muscular. He's funny. He's charming. He's all those things. Seems like the kind of kind of guy you want to go have a beer with and hang out with, which is the total Momoa vibe. And I would say if Momoa is giving off kind of the the Islander Polynesian surfer vibe, then uh, Hemsworth is giving off like the uh, 
Australian or Californian surfer boy, uh, you know, dude bro vibe. No, I agree. I think either one of them could have done this, but I think he still would have had that, uh, that, I don't think he could have made Aquaman cool. I think he would have pulled off Aquaman, but I don't think he would have made him cool that like well, Momoa does. Yeah, and the thing with this is my a lot of my problems with this movie. Momoa makes Aquaman cool because he's Jason Momoa, but for the love of God, the guy cannot get a script to do him any justice. I mean, besides Game of Thrones, where all he had to do was be you know sit there and be huge and grunt a lot, he, he just can never. <laughs> He can never get a movie that capitalizes on what makes him so cool. Like even in this movie, there's elements of it, but then there's a lot of just those are really bad lines. And no matter who you are, it's tough to deliver. Like the dialogue was almost at times to me trying to make Momoa be less cool. I'm like, oh, why? Why did you have him say that? That. Uh. So yeah. we, I mean, we don't have to jump that far ahead, but that's my general problem with it. And we've talked about this, I think, in in some other podcasts, is that. My general problem with Jason Momoa is not the guy himself or his acting ability. I just feel like the script never does right by him. And that's similar to uh, our conversations on, on good old DJ on, on The Rock. Whenever he gets, he just gets bad scripts when he is starting his career. It's like, why are you picking these scripts? And why can't they write for such a, a badass of The Rock? And then now he's just down cheesy territory. Yeah. Now he's kind of dug his own grave. At the beginning, it was sort of, you know, I, I think it wasn't necessarily his fault, but now he's become such a huge commercial success and he's got his formula that it's of his own doing now. Yeah. But I think you hit the nail on the head with the problems Aquaman has. It's, it's 100% the script. It's a, it's a bad, badly written, poor plot. And, and that's just hard because they do so many good things, but it's hard to overlook that. I totally agree. Okay. So you, like I always defer to you on our comic book movies. So I'm going to let you kind of guide where you want this thing to go because sometimes you go down comic book rabbit holes so and i'm not honestly familiar with how familiar you are with aquaman but i'll, I'll let you steer this one and we'll, we'll go where you want it to go yeah and, and i'll throw my disclaimer out there as as comic book guy i tend to stay more on marvel side uh i know the dc lore and and all that and read read quite a bit when i was a kid but i don't i don't follow uh i definitely didn't read aquaman exclusively um it was more Superman or, or nothing when it came to the DC side and a few, few Batmans in there. But it, uh, when it comes to how they portrayed him, obviously they're trying to do something new, but they kept, uh, they kept his, his story pretty in line with what, uh, makes Aquaman, but he's been changed so many times over the years too. It's kind of which, which pieces are you pulling from? Um, but I thought they did they did a good job as far as tying all that together and try to cram it all into the movie. Um, it just and I say that from a origin story standpoint, but not a did it well standpoint, if that makes any sense. Yeah, sure. No, that does. I guess then we can just go ahead and start near the beginning. Um, you know, we get the it starts out with a flashback of Django Fett and Nicole Kidman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's going to be called Django Fett this whole podcast because that's just that's just what I'm going to do. Um, but there's this awkward voiceover. Well, wouldn't he also be Boba Fett? Uh, yes, that's technically true as well. But, he's a clone uh, of himself. <laughs> yes, that is entirely <laughs> true. But uh, we'll stick with Django just for the sake of continuity in this in this podcast. It starts out with this like I don't know why this the voiceover was interesting to me, but it's like Momoa saying something about 
there's an old tale about the ocean where two things floating in the ocean will eventually come together. And I was like, I don't know why I just like, it started out that way. I was like, uh, what? Okay, fine. I mean, like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to dig too much into that or whatever. I've, I've literally never heard this before, but okay. <laughs> so between is, that, is that even a thing? I, I, that's the thing is like, <laughs> that was my immediate thought when he said that I was like, I kind of just went, okay, like, I guess that's a thing. Sure. And I started immediately, I started thinking of like, you know, pollution in the ocean. Right. Like I did too. Into I each did other. too. <laughs> I was like, I was like, is that really the first image you want to give me when I'm thinking of this? But then I was like, okay. And then I just kind of snapped back out of it, but you know, whatever. So it opens with that voiceover and we basically get the story of how Arthur Curry's parents met. Um, you know, Django is his dad and was a, a lighthouse keeper. And Nicole Kidman was a, uh, I guess, was she a queen at the time? I'm not really sure. She was. Uh, okay. Then she washed up on the shore and they fell in love. You get some awkward scenes where she's eating uh, a fish or eating dog food. I can't remember. He makes a joke about her not eating the dog. I don't know. It's a whole like fish out of water concept. and. You show, show them falling in love. I didn't have a problem with that. It was, a, it was a good way of like quickly getting through some of the initial, how did Aquaman come to be? What happened to his parents? Because I, th- I think they alluded to his mom, maybe back in Justice League and stuff. M- my two things that bothered me about this opening, though, were uh, whatever they were doing to Jango Fett to make him look younger wasn't working for me. Um, I don't know if they were doing the CGI de-aging or if they just like caked him up with heavy makeup and then gave him a wig or something, but something about his face and hair, I just, every time I looked at it, I was like, okay, was it really that important to, to de-age Django Fett for these first five minutes to the point where like I can clearly tell that's not his hair and not his, you know, the way he's supposed to look? I don't know if you had a problem with it or not, but it, it stuck out to me like a sore thumb. I didn't, um, and probably because the only thing I've ever seen Django in is Star Wars, which was 20 years ago. Um, and so I didn't have a real issue with that because he looked, he looked fine. I mean, I don't know what he looks like now, but I didn't have an issue with that at all. I mean, he had long yeah. hair, but I was like, okay. He looks like what he looks like now is what he looks like now. But I mean, I, I get that you hadn't, you wouldn't have seen that until they undeaged him, right? Right. <laughs> age, age, age progressed him. I don't know what you want to call that. Reaged him. <laughs> yeah. So the other problem I had, and this is a gripe that I've had through all of of the DC movies, is you know this lighthouse setting is you know nothing special, right? It's a lighthouse on the edge of the ocean, but DC insists on like hyper stylizing all of their outdoor settings. Like the sunset is so unrealistically painted in a way, and they're standing on this deck, and you can just tell they're in front of a green screen. And it reminds me of some of the scenes from like Batman vs. Superman, or even in Justice League, like when they're in Russia at the end, when they're fighting Steppenwolf, and nothing outside looks remotely real. Like, I don't know why they choose to do that. There's, it completely takes me out of the element where I'm like, why? So both from a story standpoint, because I'm like, this doesn't even look remotely real. And then from a, just like a movie watching standpoint, I'm just sitting there thinking, why would you hyper stylize a scene on a dock to make it look so fake that now you're taking me out of the movie? I can forgive the CGI underwater because that's something you have to do. But why are you making like a scene on a dock not look real? I don't get it. I, I just, it's a design choice that they they continue to do, and it bothers me every time. Yeah, and I don't know how much of that is Zack Snyder, um, because when he he obviously has his own type of style, but 
I think you're right when it says it doesn't add anything. When you look back at things like 300 or even like Sucker Punch, you're you're looking at this huge, you know, world that he's building and everything, and it really works in those types of movies because it's adding. It feels like it adds to the movie. And this, like you mentioned, it was purposeless, you know, to to do yeah. that. It makes it look fake. And then, but that's not the rest of the movie. There's just scenes in the movie that that do that. And I, I agree. I think it detracts. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I, I feel like in superhero movies where you're not trying to be totally ridiculous, which sounds weird saying in an Aquaman movie, but I'm kind of painting superhero movies in a broad in a broad stroke here. Like it helps to have some sort of grounding. Like in some ways, the Nolan movies are at the far extreme, right, where everything's grounded in reality. And then I would say, on the other hand, you have something like you know, Aquaman or even, even guardians in a sense where like they're out in space and like, you can kind of forgive the outlandish settings for having to do all the CGI, but you need to like have some kind of anchor back to what feels real. And I think when you do something like, um, uh, there's another scene later, like when, when they're walking in the desert, um, in Africa with it's Arthur and Mira, like that was clearly so fake. And it, those are the scenes where just make it feel real. Can we can we not put them on location in some place that has sand? Did we feel the need to to show such a, a, a zoomed out shot that we had to just CGI paint all the sands around? Like, give me some anchor of realism so that when we go back down underwater, I can kind of forgive that. You know, okay, now I'm in this underwater place. I, I need to suspend disbelief and all this stuff. But when we're on the surface, just give me something real. Damn it. Well, I think uh, I think. Again, you hit the, hit the nail on the head. I think the contrast is what you need in a movie like this. You need the real world above the water, and then when you so when you go, you know, underneath, you you have this magical world that you've never seen before, and then you can go, you know, his underwater style that he did, and and I think that that bouncing back and forth, I think, would have worked really well, but they chose to to just kind of blend it all into this cartoony something. Yeah. There's going to be people that like that, but for me, I just it just bothers me almost from like a filmmaking standpoint, which I'm not a filmmaker by any means. It's just like, why? Why make the most basic setting in the world be something that you felt the need to CGI paint? It's I don't know. It's just sand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay, so moving past that, you know, we get the little montage of uh, Django and Nicole Kidman being in love and Arthur is born and you know they're all happy for him and she's telling him early on of his heritage and stuff like that but then all of a sudden Atlanteans show up and start attacking and that actually was one of my favorite scenes of the movie yeah. because I, I didn't know what to expect from James Wan from a from a fighting standpoint and I think it was a one-take shot. I, I would have to go back and watch. But either way, whether it's one-take or not, it was choreographed well. It was shot really well. And I remember thinking after that scene, like, whoa, if these are the kinds of action scenes we're getting in this movie, I, I you know, some of my initial judgments may be a little off here. We could be in for a, a good one. No, I agree. I thought it started off with the right foot um, with Nicole Kidman, you know, taking them out and her fighting with their, her trident and everything. I thought that was that was done really well. And And to be honest, I thought most of the fight scenes were done really well. It was just everything around it, you know, yeah. you, you end up watching a fight scene and you're like, I don't really care because I'm not invested at all. You know, it's like you can pull out some, okay, that, that was cool, but there's nothing, no substance because we just came from another cool fight scene. And, and that's weird for me to have that, 
know, criticism because fight scenes are what you you look for in a superhero movie, but you got to have some meat to it also. I, I again, and I I wrote in my in my uh review on this is if this came out in 2000 with uh next to Spider-Man, the original Sam Raimi, this would have been a massive massive hit you know <laughs> yeah. i think i think it could have been epic but i think people expect more other superhero movies now than just non-stop action and, and no no heart totally agree um that that echoes the same thing that i don't remember if you said this but i know i said it about venom like if it had come out in that time it would have it would have crushed but yeah you're right people just expect better quality filmmaking attached to superhero movies than, than what they used to. And yeah, this one feels like it's, uh, yeah, maybe not. I, I guess for me, I wouldn't say maybe as far back as the Raimi's, but somewhere in between, you know, that and when Marvel really took off, like even as a contrast to Nolan's Batman's, I, I could have seen this getting some sort of, of relief and, and feeling like, a, okay, we're not everything is super serious and grounded in, you know, grittiness of the Nolan world. We can still do a, a super light, fun, you know, uh, Aquaman movie. But yeah, once we got into like the heyday of Marvel, it's just, it, yeah, there's just too much of expectations to to turn out something as flimsy as this. Well, and while we're on that, we might as well stay with that article that you sent me uh, earlier this week of uh, Warner Brothers executive saying that we're just going to make make these one-off movies and not try to make them connect anymore because that's marvel <laughs> yeah i mean that's marvel's formula so we're just gonna do our own thing and so basically it's just a lazy it's just we're gonna make take one movie at a time with no actual you know continuity and so we're just gonna oh aquaman had some great success because we just kind of threw it together and so we're just gonna start throwing together movies and and hope people go see them which they will because they're characters that people love but it's just a very lazy no planning agenda because the Snyder thing didn't pan out half half because they didn't let it pan out. But the other half is because people didn't like the direction it was going quickly. And so it just, I don't know. I, I think it's a very poor decision <laughs> on Warner brothers part. Oh, yeah. But yeah. And you know, what's funny is I don't know if I sent you this article either, but later in the week they came out with an article saying Zack Snyder's original vision was to have all solo movies before justice league. And I, I've said this on Twitter. If anybody follows me, I, I I can't take. I'm getting to the point of no return with DC and Zack Snyder. And I understand there's a history there. And you know we're even talking about Zack Snyder when we're talking about Aquaman. But it's getting to the point where I, I can't handle it anymore. It's like, oh, I want to see the Snyder take. I don't. Well, Snyder's saying here's what his plan was for Justice League, and and I get that he had to leave, and it's really terrible circumstances under which he had to leave. But yeah, then you add in the fact that. You know, DC is going from, well, we're building up this whole universe and now we're just doing one-offs. And now we have four Joker movies and now we have TV shows and they're, they're just, it's like they have no direction. Everything is just, let's blindly throw darts at a wall trying to catch up to Marvel. I mean, and that even goes from a comic standpoint, right? Because like you've been a Marvel Unlimited subscriber for years now and I've spent years just Googling like, hey, when is DC going to have an Unlimited? And I think they finally came out with it, but it's like still somehow worse than what Marvel's is like DC is just miserably ran right now from a, at least from a filmmaking standpoint. Well, on the, in the film side, it's, you know, they're trying to play catch up and they want to catch the, the superhero bubble. And so they try to throw out justice league, you know, as fast as they could, because that was their answer to the Avengers. And they didn't want to wait through all these, you know, origin story type movies, but 
I think that was the right way to go. You had Man of Steel and you could have you could have kept you had Wonder Woman that you could have done prior to Batman versus Superman, but instead you you chose to to throw that out there first, just again to I, I believe it's a catch up thing. And they say, Hey, how do we capitalize this as fast as possible? And I think it's a mistake. And we're going to get a bunch of one-off movies that don't tie together at all. But I think again, people are, are wanting that, you know, we're my wife and I are, we have my mom, and my sister come over and we're watching all 20 movies before the new captain Marvel come out and through Marvel, because they all tie together, you know, some, more loosely than others but they all have one direction that they're going and i think that's just smart planning oh it it totally is and instead of them taking their time them being dc instead of taking their time and kind of regrouping and and figuring out a good plan of attack uh they're just yeah they're trying to go as fast as they can and they just keep tripping and falling on their face so that just sums up the script i think (laughs) yeah And, and what's more annoying from the dc standpoint is that they had the lead and in fact, they were leading the pack since like Batman 89. Right. I mean, they have the name recognition. Everybody knows who Batman and Superman are, even Wonder Woman, you know? And so when you throw out Iron Man, I mean, the world didn't know who Iron Man was. They definitely didn't know who Gardens of the Galaxy are. Right. People don't don't know Thor. Uh, people knew the Hulk, you know, but it's like, okay, DC has name recognition. People know them. They should have had this all right. You don't have to dive into Superman's origin story. Everybody knows that. And if you find somebody who doesn't, that surprises me. Like, I, I would, I would give <laughs> yeah. great money if someone truly didn't know Superman's origin story. Right. Or even Batman's for that matter. Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, it's to the point where they, they're totally skippable elements in any movie of theirs that you do know. I mean, people may not know Aquaman, but they know Aquaman, you know? They know, they, yeah, they know exactly. Aquaman. Yeah, exactly. It's not like you've never heard of him. I mean, whether it was from like the Wonder Friends or whatever back in the day on Super Friends. Everybody's... Super Friends. Yeah, it didn't sound right when I said it. <laughs> That's a minus one for my comic book credibility there. Um, or I should maybe even Saturday morning cartoon uh, credibility. But anyways, okay. So now that we've ranted about DC and Marvel for a bit, <laughs> let's get back to, uh, to Aquaman. So Long story short, after that that fight that we love so much, um, you know, she Nicole Kidman is I I can't remember. Do you, do you remember? Do they does she go back to see like they know she goes back or do they think that she died? They take her back. Okay, she, she, I couldn't. She remember. loses that fight and they take her back and then she's forced to marry the king, and that's when King Orm is born. Okay, so gotcha. and Orm is uh, so that's his half brother played by Patrick Wilson, right? Correct. Okay, he was born first, so he's the rightful king. Uh, Aquaman is, and then but she went back to marry the arranged marriage who she didn't want to, which is why she ran away, and then okay. went back and had Patrick. Gotcha. God, I don't know how you remember that. I, I I have vague plot elements in my head, but the the details have just have long escaped me. I think from here, like the the biggest plot point is basically that Orm is trying to gather up every all the kingdoms underneath the sea because he wants to attack the surface because he's tired of them uh, polluting and having wars and all that. It, it vaguely reminded me of the Abyss, how the underwater aliens want to basically attack the humans because we're ruining the planet kind of thing. Is that is that a fair <laughs> characterization of Orm's desires? Yeah, I mean, I, I think he just wants to attack the the service world they they own all the the seven seas i feel like they just feel like they should run run everything but they did mention those economic environments as well but you'd think you know if you run the oceans you would like global warming 
you know melt the ice caps and make more water <laughs> that's true i didn't i didn't get as much of an issue about uh like air pollution and global warming as i got like people actually just dumping stuff in the oceans and then nuclear subs and all that kind of stuff that's kind of the more the angle i thought i saw with i it. think it was just a global conquest at the root of it all gotcha so the funniest thing to me though and i don't know how you tuck this in the movie but i guess essentially that he needs to unite the kingdoms in order to get everybody on his side so that they will go and attack the surface but once he unites them he would not become just orm he would become ocean master right <laughs> please tell me you like kind of laughed out loud when they said ocean master well i know that's his name in the comics so oh. I was kind of waiting for that. It was bad the first time they said it, and it was worse every other time they said it. It's just, it's one of those things that, sure, it may be true to the comics, I get that, but it's just a laughably cheesy title. It doesn't sound intimidating. It doesn't even sound cool. It's, it sounds like something that uh, if you and I were seven years old writing our own comic, we'd be like, let's call him Ocean Master. Well, if you, honestly, if you think of any of the superhero names, we're just, you've heard them so many times, but Superman, I mean, Come on. I mean, all, all these were made like in the 50s, you know, so an ocean, ocean sure. master comes out. That was actually probably pretty badass. <laughs> oh, I, I, maybe. <laughs> Who knows? Yes, I think there's some truth to that, that, you know, some of those other names, Superman, Batman, Spider-Man, all Aquaman. that stuff. You know, it's very super. Yeah, but I mean, at least it isn't Waterman or Fishman. At least Aquaman is kind of a, a different take on, you know, one of those kind of adjectives or nouns it's slightly more clever yeah exactly ocean master is none more clever ocean man though it's a master <laughs> yeah i guess and i don't even think we really understand what powers ocean master gets uh speaking of powers I'm, I'm gonna jump to mira like they don't they don't explain why she can do anything um the, all i know is that they the only thing is they make a comment about highborns are the only ones that can breathe on the surface yes. um anybody else can't breathe that that was about the only explanation i got for anybody's powers anywhere. right um but to be able to pull water out of someone's skin and be able to control water the way she was or what coffee or tea or whatever she threw at somebody i mean they don't explain because nobody else can do it and they don't explain why she can do it is she some sort of mutant you know, it, true, and, and honestly, though, they don't even really explain how Arthur can talk or why he can talk to fish, right? Because that doesn't seem like that's anything that any of the other Atlanteans can see. Do. I well, I'll come back to that part, but I attribute anything that Arthur can do to being what the half breed. You know, he's different, and so maybe that gives him abilities. But they're right. They're, I mean, I guess they're writing but, sharks, but hold some, on. they have to have some of that. You know. Well, I just figured that's like us taming horses right like we we can't speak to horses but we we are able to you know break them and train them kevin costner can going back going back to your point why would him being a half breed allow him to talk to fish being a human is not going to give you any powers underwater or anything so all of his powers would need to be it just messes with his genetics that's why he's (laughs) (laughs) i don't know i'm just saying at least that makes sense then you know, there's something different about him. You know, he has two different species in him, and then she's just a highborn, yet nobody else can do this, which I think would be very handy if Aquaman could do that, or if even Orm could do that, but nobody but her can do that. Dolph didn't even do that. I mean, it's her dad. Yeah, I mean, no, that, I, I'm not trying to take away from the Mira point at all. I was just more commenting on the fact that 
to me, it's actually the opposite. I feel like Arthur having extra powers makes less sense because Atlanteans are way far more advanced uh, biologically, genetically, whatever, than humans. So it's, you know, it'd be than like clones? You know, a human, <laughs> well, maybe like a human like mating with a Neanderthal, right? Like, I don't know. I mean, I guess maybe you get some Neanderthal strength, but as far as I know, humans can't talk to, to animals. So I don't know where he developed this ability. But Django's from a galaxy far, far away. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Maybe if it was a crossover, I could see that. But so, yeah, I, I get it. I, there's a lot of things like that that just aren't explained in this movie, and I kind of looked past it. Um, I, I kind of tied it. This doesn't help the explanation at all, but it's kind of like that bubble she makes in Justice League. Clearly, I think she can. It, it's in there that she can control water. So I just, I took it as kind of, um, I don't know. Well, okay, that's just what she can do. But you're right. There's no explanation. Yeah, for it. and I'm not saying that she can't do that. I'm just they'd never make mention of why she's the only one that can. Right. And so that it's, yeah, just, it's just weird when your only introduction to her is, oh, I can pull the water out of your skin. You know, so it's like, wait, 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 what? <laughs> can I do that? You know, if you're yeah. Arthur, you're like, can I do that? I don't, you know, teach me something. Are you, are you right. a witch? <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's a fair point. While we were on the, on the powers, uh, I, I definitely, I didn't think too much about that, but I, I totally see that. So a couple more points back on Orm. I, I actually liked the uh the idea that um orm rejects the surface because of the pollution the warships and I, I thought it was a really good angle the the one thing i didn't like about the movie is like arthur never really like reconciled that meaning it's kind of an interesting question if you think about it from arthur's perspective like he's all about defending the surface or i guess making sure that the worlds are together um but he never really kind of takes into the account that the other half of his heritage is under sea and like humans are ruining the sea and and all this stuff so i just thought it was like it's something that he just never really addresses he just by default kind of defends the surface and it's almost like he defends the surface first and then bringing everybody together is secondary but they never really try and get arthur to to say oh well you know maybe the fact that nuclear subs are patrolling the oceans is not a good thing and all this pollution isn't a good thing so I get you don't want to get too heady in a, in a movie like this, but I thought it would have been an interesting challenge to Arthur and his thoughts on defending the surface versus the ocean if he had actually, you know, thought about that question, but he never well, does. Well, and it's it's also weird when you're talking about his arc of he doesn't want to be king, isn't deserve, deservedly king, you know, all, all these thoughts he's going through. Um, the entire movie doesn't want to be king. He finds the trident to get him out of there, and then he, he defeats Orm, and then... So I forget what the line was, but it's like, you know, I'm ready to be king or something like that. Like, wait, what? You didn't want <laughs> all of a sudden you, you want to fight and all of a sudden you're ready to be king of the entire ocean. Like it, it just didn't like Maybe I missed a, a piece in there where you had a, a turning point and, and I do need to, to see it again. But it's it's like all of a sudden he's ready to be king just because he found the trident. Yeah, I actually think the turning point was before that and it was still super flimsy. I think Mira convinces him in like one or two basic superficial speeches, like, you know, the whole what's better than or a king, they need a leader or, and there's one other moment, like whether they're in Italy or on that boat before they do the trench dive or whatever. It's like, you're right. He doesn't want any part of this. He's kind of the reluctant king. And then, yeah, I think it's her that kind of talks him into it, but it's really not any kind of memorable scene at all where you're like, Oh, now Arthur gets it. It's just, and I think that's more of a byproduct of nothing between Arthur and Mira working very well in the movie. Um, you know, their relationship doesn't make sense. Well, I mean, I guess it makes sense, but 
it just doesn't, it feels forced from a story standpoint. Like at no point was I sitting there going, oh man, yeah, they're actually like, here's the reason why they're coming together and falling in love and I can actually feel it. It's more of like, okay, they're going to get together because she's a girl and he's a guy and, you know, that's just the way the story is going to go. And that's like how the movie treated it. So anything that comes off of that, like the turning point for Arthur is going to feel just as flimsy as their relationship. No, I agree. I agree. Um, so I know the one thing we left off uh, that we can jump back to really quickly because it kind of happens before some of this Orm nonsense gets underway is uh, Black Manta and his whole introduction and the scene we see in the trailer with Aquaman fighting on the sub. Um, what did you think about all that? I, I think they're, they were just trying to set up movie number two and it had no place in any of this. That, that's kind of that's how I took it. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I felt like it was a total setup. Um, I, I, I like the sub scene as far as fighting and action goes. I, I, there were some weird choices that they did in there. Like they, they randomly made a slow motion shot or two in it. And I was like, what? What, what, what is that? Um, but like, you know, anything with hand to hand combat and Jason Momoa is usually pretty good. But yeah, you know, even his, uh, like as the movie goes on, it's just hard, it's hard to believe that Black Manta poses any kind of challenge to Aquaman at all, right? Yeah. And even after he crafts his, uh, you know, super weapon with Atlantean technology given to him by Orm and one of the worst montages of the movie of him building all his suit and stuff, like he still doesn't really pose that much of a challenge to Arthur. So it's it's kind of hard for me to believe that he's worthy of even fighting and i'm sure it's totally for the second movie but in this movie that whole arc just i mean you could have taken it out other than he was the one that helps orm get a sub to to fake the attack on the atlanteans to get everybody on his side i mean but you that could have been and and i may have a little chip on my shoulder from i've always thought he looks stupid in the comics and the cartoons (laughs) you know and even when they they did their best to try to make him look cool once he put the costume on but he doesn't he looks like alpha from the power rangers i mean it's it, it <laughs> he's he, he's a dumb bad guy i feel like i mean i thought uh the actor who played him um uh, did well uh you know he's a revenge you killed my father type of thing sure but it's just yeah you know, i i didn't again you mentioned i didn't see him as a threat he wasn't really a, a cool badass type character and now he's basically cyclops underwater i don't know i don't i don't like him as a character and i don't think it added anything to the movie yeah and i felt like the way he kind of came to hate aquaman like how his father died and aquaman leaving his dad there i mean it it seemed kind of like not like something aquaman would do um but at the same you know it felt weird that he wouldn't help him save his dad who was dying and then they didn't really kind of they brought it around a little bit, but not with enough weight to really make you think, oh, man, this is, you know, we can't wait to see how this finishes in the next movie between these two guys. It was just, it was all just kind of, oh, yeah, he's still alive. Like, that that's how they ended it, was more, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah Manta's still alive. And like, okay, well, I'm sure we'll see him again. But then, but, but, but you mentioned <laughs> uh, something that Aquaman wouldn't do, and I don't really think we've gotten a, yeah, he protects the innocents, but we don't know how he treats bad guys. Is he a guy that kills people? You know, I don't think that they've really shown in Justice League or even in this movie up until that scene of how he treats evildoers. So leaving him there, I was like, okay, or are we getting kind of a dark Aquaman? Or has he changed now? And is he back to benevolent king and 
what, whatever. Right. So was that ever? No, that's a good point. Was that ever shown beyond that scene? No, not that I can think of off the top of my head. I mean, all all the action scenes are very. I don't know. Uh, I I couldn't tell you if he killed anybody or I mean, not. I mean, that, that was in comic book movies. It's hard to always tell. Like, are they really dead, or you know, did he just knock? But them even out? in the you know in the field of battle, sure he could kill people. But I mean, that was a very Punisher esque move to to leave him there to drown to die. You know, and right. and if he if that's the way they want to take him, okay. I mean, that's a different kind of Aquaman. But that's the only scene that they do that in. I feel in the his what two movies that he's been in yeah i think that's right and didn't he actually say something to the effect of like uh like i i don't have to save him or something like that yeah very batman begins he, yeah exactly he turns around when he's on the ladder and says something to to black manta to the effect of like yeah i don't remember exactly but it's yeah, like yeah i don't have to save yeah him. And then he blew himself up and yeah so you yeah you do kind of get the whole you know darker edge like is is this where we're going so yeah i don't have a good feel for that like what his i don't have a good take for what uh aquaman's stance is on killing enemies. <laughs> okay that's fair because i didn't either <laughs> okay um so hopping back down to to orm for a bit this is one of my big problems with the the movie as well uh i felt like they tried to throw so much at you so when we first learn about orm and what he's trying to do Somebody, I think maybe it's Orm, maybe it's Willem Dafoe, I don't really remember, tries to explain all the kingdoms, all the different factions, why we have to get them together, what their history is, what their mythology is. And it doesn't all come in one big chunk, but I know there's an initial big chunk where they're naming off these different races of Atlanteans or whatever you want to call them. And I just remember sitting there in the theater being like, there's no way I remember all of this that they're trying to tell me in this little four minute speech that somebody's giving. Like, I get the general concept that there's these factions that need to be united so that they can have an, a king and an ocean master, but like you just completely, you know, word dumped a whole bunch of stuff on me and I'm not going to remember. It this. was a lot crammed in for sure. And you didn't really see them again until the battle and you didn't really know who was even there. Yeah. Like the, that one scene where Orm is going to like supposedly do a peace offering with those weird, the brine, maybe I think they might be called. And he just kills one. I'm like, all right. Uh, I mean, again, I've seen enough movies to get what's happening here, but like, you're not you're not explaining this very well at and, all. And I think that's that's where I had my when giving my rating. That's where I had my biggest problem figuring out what I was going to do with this. And, and is it because I've seen so many movies that now we're going to get into the the MacGuffins here pretty soon? Uh, to me, it seems lazy because I've seen it all before. And there, there is nothing new. It's like, I, okay, we have to go get this trident to to get this. You know, you know, I'm trying to unite the factions, and oh, imagine that you killed one of the the good ones that didn't want to join with you. And it, it all, it all, everything just seemed very cookie cutter. I've seen it a hundred times before, and I don't know if it's because the movie made it so predictable, or it's because I've been desensitized to all these particular plot lines because I've seen so many movies. So I was trying to take that part out of it but i still came back with the plot was lame yeah <laughs> yeah you you hit it on the head i mean that was the thing where i you got a lot of eye rolls from me was it's just it's not like there's one MacGuffin, like you, you know that thing that that moves the movie along that people are chasing like the, the the classic example i always get is uh the briefcase in pulp fiction you don't know what it is you don't know what's in it you don't know why it's important but it's moving elements of the plot along 
there's not even one in this movie. It's it's like just one after the other in this movie. It's we have to go get this little capsule, and then once we get the capsule, we have to put it in the right spot, and then once we put it in the right spot, we have to put water on it, and then that tells us where the trident is. But then we have to go get the trident. It's just it's one big chase after another, and I, I guess th- there's some movies that can do that and do that well, like the Indiana Jones movies typically have something like that, but you know you can't just have that. And when when the rest of the story around it is starting to just kind of falter or feel flimsy, then you just feel like, okay, let's go get the next puzzle piece. Okay, we got it. Let's go get the next one. And it just starts to wear thin after a while. Like, okay, let's just cut out four of those puzzle pieces and let's just get on with it. Well, the and it's like, you can't win without the Trident. So let's go get the Trident. Okay, I wonder what happens when he gets the Trident. You know, it, it's lazy. But then they also don't really even give you an idea, does the Trident give him power? You know, and so it's not like Thor's hammer, which I think they lean pretty heavy on, you know, the the power of Thor comes from the hammer. You know, he's he's a tough guy, but without the hammer, he's not, you know, but Aquaman seems pretty badass without the trident. And is it just because his trident (laughs) didn't break when he fought Orm? He's just a strong trident. I guess I didn't get that power up. And I think that's where they tried to give you some of King, uh, what what's the King Atlan? King Atlan? That's right, right? Sure. Okay, yeah, I think it's King Atlan, the one who has like the armor and the trident that they're having to go get. But I think they try, and at some point in all that exposition that they're giving you, they do try and allude to whatever that trident will give you and why it has power and all this other stuff. But again, it's like a nugget tucked into all the exposition that they're giving you about all their mythology. And you're not shown it, you're told it. So you're like, okay, I guess that's powerful. Well, it Fine. seemed more like uh, Sword in the Stone. You know, I felt like that was the path that, that oh, they were sure. going with that is, is all Sword in the Stone. And so I didn't know if it, okay, they're all going to follow you simply because you have it, you know, because you were able to get it. But when he had it, again, I was looking for a different power set that he could do with this. You know, Wonder Woman now has, you know, the ability to do this because she has that new power set, you know, something like that. But I didn't feel like it was there. You're you're totally right. I mean, I mean, as if the Arthur name wasn't enough of leaning into the the King Arthur mythos. I mean, only the worthy could pull out that trident, right? I mean, it's not that it could pull out the trident. It's just that that thing guarding it was only going to let people who were worthy past or whatever so i mean yeah total arthurian mythology in that one um and yeah they yeah i couldn't tell you i mean he uses it in the final battle but it's not like it's not like he just shows up and like hoists the trident in the air and everybody's like oh he's the rightful king i mean he still has to go fight well yeah he still had to defeat orm but what did the trident do different than his other trident did let him do that cool spinny move (laughs) god Right. it's true it's true she, nicole kidman did not warn us about the cool spinny move nope but willem dafoe showed us on the beach we knew the pommel horse was that's, coming that's back. true but like nicole kidman okay so I'm, I'm i know i'm getting off because there's just things that that bug me so they they go through the trench right so there's a light in the trench and then there are all these vampire type creatures down there and, and they find mm-hmm. this what i'm going to call the savage land of dinosaurs and whatnot yeah. um with when Nicole Kidman's been living for a while, there's only one portal way in, you know, and only the Trident can get you out. That that's that's weird to me that 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 yeah, that's a totally portal. Is. At least make it a current of some sort that you can't get out of the current. You know, that seems more oceanic to me. Well, and and didn't it 
there was some weirdness with that thing too. Like I can't remember if um, Aquaman and Mira were specifically going to that portal or if they were just, I, I don't remember what, but it's like they, they acknowledge it. Like it just randomly spits them out in this place. And then you can't get out. It's just, it was super bizarre how, I remember sitting there thinking to myself, like, wait, so they, they went into this trench and they, they hit this portal and it just randomly spits them out, but they just, it happens to be the location where this thing is at and then you can't leave without the trial. Like, yeah, that sequence of events, I just, I, I think by that point, I was already kind of wearing a little thin with the movie, so I probably wasn't focusing as hard as I could, but I remember thinking, like, that that seems awfully convenient storytelling. And, and I don't know if this was cut from the movie or cut from the script, but they're there in this savage land and again that's from marvel but i'm putting it there where these dinosaurs are running around you only see them kind of from an overhead view of the beach you know Mm -hmm. and you think aquaman's going to run in and fight some sort of dinosaur at some point i mean the only thing we get is you know the kraken at the end but i would have thought there would have been some sort of you're in this prehistoric realm um have some interaction with something yeah. Now, didn't they say? Okay, it's coming back to me. But didn't they say that was like the the lost ocean that's inside the Earth's core or something right. like that? But you had all these dinosaur creatures that we don't encounter any of them except for the the, the kraken, the the main one at the end. Sorry, the kraken is what's guarding the trite the trident, but also what he rides in to battle right. at the end. I mean, I'm calling it the kraken. Okay. Only. <laughs> sure, I'm totally good with that. I just wanted to make sure I I understood that. Um, well, and e- even worse, I thought. So to your point, like he didn't interact with any of the dinosaurs or fight a dinosaur, but when he finally you know defeats the kraken and shows that he's worthy, and it's by talking to the thing, like I audibly groaned out loud. I was like, oh come on, like really that like that's that's how we're resolving this. This this kraken thing has defeated all these warriors. Nicole Kidman can't get past it. There's pile of piles of bones everywhere. And then the magic power that Arthur has to control fish, which we haven't explained in any way, shape, or form, is suddenly what allows him to get past it. Like, I mean, story-wise, it's it's actually kind of fine. It fits, given what they're doing. But, like, from an action movie, comic book epic standpoint, I was like, really? Like, yeah. you just talk you to talk it? You talk to Mary Poppins, <laughs> and then she lets you out. Yeah. It, it's really and And I just, just looked up the name. It's Carathin, which sounds very close to Kraken. So I'm okay. going to continue to call it the Kraken. <laughs> and by Mary Poppins, you mean that uh, Julie Andrews was voicing it? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I just wanted to make that clear. There was like, what? What in the hell are they talking about, Mary Poppins? <laughs> you know, kind of in that same realm with the mythology. I, if I ever felt like it, I would try and sit down and rewatch some of these DC movies and map out sort of the the timeline or mythology. But I feel like their explanation of when Atlantis sank and everything just totally throws stuff off. Like, I feel like they said it was a thousand years ago, but I mean, we all understand the world we live in. And I know there are actually, I've seen something on the history channel where people think Atlantis is actually in one of the African deserts, like the old tale of Atlantis. But I don't know. The the timeline didn't feel right to me. And then when you tried to match that up with the fact that, uh, you know, way back in the day when Steppenwolf first tried to come or whatever, they, they fought alongside Atlanteans and Amazons. Like, I don't know. I need to look at it more, but it felt like whatever timelines they set up in this movie did not mesh well with everything else that's been set well, up before. Well, look at the plot that we got, and and you truly think that they put that much thought into tying it together? Uh, no, I, I, I totally agree with you there, but you would think that on some level they'd be like, well, let's not... It, is it? I guess what I would say is, was it important 
to if it's important enough to show the mythology of Atlantis where there are advanced civilizations and they sunk like at least make sure that it sort of jives with what's been there before I mean why implement new problems like then you're just being a jerk as a filmmaker like well I don't really care what comes before me I'm just going to do this well, that's I mean, not, that it wouldn't have been that hard that to sounds make. like what's coming from WB on top of we don't care what came before you you know we're just going to throw out, throw out this random movie yeah that's true so maybe that's from uh, on high of well how do we make this work don't worry about it just put it out there CGI <laughs> fest yeah. go ride a, a seahorse right so we all knew Nicole Kidman was coming back I mean that was clear as day from the very Shocker. beginning yeah exactly I felt like everything was predictable you know he, he gets the, the cool aquaman suit and the trident he goes and fights orm he wins uh, i know that there was some articles floating around that talked about uh why this ending was better than black panthers and it had to do with um the fact that aquaman didn't kill orm whereas black panther you know killed killmonger and i've heard a lot of people say that they feel like this is very much a black panther you know copy and i didn't really feel that watching the movie i was more just like i mean I think with a lot of these comic book movies, sure, you can, you know, rightful king, you know, half brother. And I think in this case, it was, you know, uh, it would technically be a cousin, right? In Black Panther. But, um, you know, you can make those superficial comparisons. But I, I wasn't one of those people that sat there and was like, oh, this is Black Panther underwater. Um, I don't know. What do you think about that? Well, again, I saw that article also about Black Panther, and that didn't make much sense to me when, to me, the obvious comparison, if you're going to make one, is to Thor. I mean, it it's almost... Agreed. It's almost verbatim Thor, you know, you have this high advanced civilization that's that was lost long ago that used to be here. <laughs> you know, you have a half brother trying to steal the throne, you know, you have him looking for his hammer, doesn't have his hammer, you know, all of this. I mean, everything mirrors almost perfectly to Thor and they're trying to pick apart Black Panther for it. Um it didn't yeah. make much sense other than they're both kings. I mean, it just, it, it fit a lot. And the fact that they kept saying worthy about a hundred times in Aquaman, that, <laughs> that, that goes in my mind to Thor automatically. I know they were trying to stay more towards the, uh, you know, Camelot uh, storyline of, you know, if he's worthy, he can get it up. But every time that word to me, because it's on the hammer, you know, goes back to Thor every time in my mind. And so that, that's where I was throughout the entire yeah. movie was this is very much, a a thor thing because the trident doesn't give aquaman his power aquaman is just powerful you know and so that right. i didn't i didn't like that so uh, on the last battle so i i guess what i would say about the you know the last battle is fine it's a big star wars-esque you know collision of underwater sea animals and weapons and people riding stuff and whatever i, I guess my biggest takeaway about anything in aquaman from an action perspective is that um the bigger the action scene, the less I liked it. I didn't really care much about that last action scene. The Orm versus Aquaman face-off underwater where they actually fight each other, um, I didn't really care for that one. Uh, but it's all the side fights that I like the best. The submarine, the um, Mira fight in Italy, the Nicole Kidman fight. I just, any of the other bigger ones, I just kind of walked away. I was like, all right. I mean, it wasn't overly impactful. It wasn't overly emotional. And like from a visual standpoint, I was just like, yeah, fine, whatever. It's all of fine. them you just said were out of water. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you didn't like the underwater fighting at all. I mean, not really. I, I guess just because. I mean, you, you are you are limited. You know, I mean, you're limited underwater of what you can do. Sure. I think some of it's the choreography and the fighting, but I think even some of it's just like the storytelling around it, like the Orm versus Aquaman didn't like it didn't have the storytelling nature of killmonger versus uh t'challa right you know 
I I insanely felt like in Black Panther that first T'Challa Killmonger fight. I was like, oh my god, what is going to happen? And you know, this is actually kind of intense. There was none of that in Orm versus Aquaman. Because they already set you up that this is going to be a very predictable movie. I think had, I mean, it it followed everything that we thought would happen. Yeah. And so I think that's that took away from the actual fight itself. There's no suspense. We knew he wasn't going to win without the Triton because they already said that. You know? And so <laughs> right. it just, it was lazy. I just feel like it was lazy. And I felt like a lot of the underwater ones were kind of anticlimactic. So when he fights Orm, um, nothing really comes to a head. Mira just comes in and flies in and, and pulls him, pulls Aquaman out of there. And then in the, uh, you know, the final battle, yeah, you, there's a lot going on from all the sharks and animals and all that stuff. But then when it becomes Orm versus Aquaman, it's just this kind of anticlimactic, you know, when are you going to do your cool little trident circle shield move or whatever? And then he finally does it and then he's knocked down and Orm's knocked down and we're like, okay, well, you know, you're going to get arrested now. It's just all the underwater fights never built up to anything whereas i guess with the other fights i felt like they were at least more spontaneous and i was like oh you know i kind of know what's going to happen but at least that kind of came out of nowhere it's, it's like all the big events that they built up to yeah you're right we're, we're just pretty i mean i think the underwater fights were as far as the effects go i think they were good i mean as as good as you can make a guy riding a shark look i think it looked that way and they kind of had that you know watery feel to everything which i think can kind of mask some of the the bad effects when you kind of blur it a little bit. Um, but I thought all those looked well, as well as could be expected for an underwater giant battle scene. Yeah, totally agree with you there. I, I'm not going to knock the effects in this movie by any stretch. They were all completely fine. I, I didn't really groan to any of the effects. Um, underwater, you mean? It's true, yes. I and mean, I'm not one for um, overly CGI fest type movies. They just kind of, uh, they don't do anything for me. But at the same time, like I can at least appreciate when it's done fairly well. Like I will say that I felt like a lot of this was done better than something from earlier 2018, like Ready Player One, where I, I just didn't quite feel that world as much as I felt. Well, these one. were better than Black Panther, the effects that they put out there. Oh, God, yes. Yeah, that's not even a debate. <laughs> I mean, so the we, ending of Black Panther is so bad. Yeah, riding a shark looked better than them riding a rhino. <laughs> <laughs> that is spot on. I will totally agree with you there. So the last little bit, I know we've kind of touched on this as we went through, um, but I at least wanted to comment on some of the acting. Um, you know, we talked about it. We both generally love Jason Momoa. He's a likable guy, total surfer dude bro vibe. Um, it, it doesn't come through any more than in the scene where they're in the bar um, and you think he's about ready to, you know, get into a, he's drinking beers with Django and he's, you think he's about ready to get into a fight with like these biker looking guys, but then they all just want to take selfies with him. And you know, he ends up getting hammered with them and stuff. I thought that was, I feel like that's what Jason Momoa would be like in real life. Right. But the approach to that was stupid. It's like, why would he call him fish boy, you know, and act all pissed off to get a selfie? I mean, oh, the whole yeah. setup was dumb. I mean, oh, you yeah. could have done that. Whereas slightly more believable, maybe Momoa was almost the more aggressor, you know, type of thing. And then has it, no, I just wanted a selfie, you know, type of thing. Oh yeah, it was a total swerve. I mean, they the only reason you had him saying that was to to trick people into it. Yeah, totally again, poor, poor writing, poor dialogue there. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, the other acting I talked about it between Arthur and Mira. I just felt like there was nothing there, nothing at all. Like almost to the point where it just felt so obligatory that they were getting together. Like nothing in the movie made you think they should be together. It's just they kind of were just because. Patrick Wilson, I don't know. I didn't really, I wasn't really feeling him as the villain in this. Like anytime he tried to yell and be menacing, I was just like, eh, okay. I agree. I, I did not enjoy him as Orm. Yeah. 
and then um poor Willem Dafoe. <laughs> I, I I sat there and I was like, okay, I have two questions about Willem Dafoe. If you're DC, why do you cast Willem Dafoe, who is a very recognizable name and I think is I guess I would say he's done a lot of stuff, but I would say maybe he's kind of comes across as above comic book movies maybe a little bit besides you know the old Raimi Spider-Man um but like I was like why would you choose this movie to put Willem Dafoe in if you're just going to have him be like the most generic sidekick imaginable and then you know in the same breath if you're Willem Dafoe why do you, why do you take this if you read the script you're like oh I'm just the right hand dude of Orm who kind of you know works against him like it was such a forgettable character that it didn't need to be Willem Dafoe it didn't Dafoe. need to be a character like I, I don't even get why he was even in True. the movie like, I don't get the training of him on the side. Like, what did he really train him? How to catch the thing between his hands? I mean, which I hate. <laughs> and do the twirl. And the twirl. It's so, like, I didn't get, and he. it's not like he, he got found out that he was a a spy, I guess, to show that some Atlanteans wanted Momoa. I mean, is that the only thing that we got from that? Is some were on his side to be the king? I just. Yeah, the, the, or that at least some people didn't fully support Orm, I that, guess. It, I don't know. It was a throwaway character. Again, I agree with you. Why is Willem Dafoe signing up for this? Did he have, you know, 30 minutes of his character cut out? <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Um, did you have any other thoughts on the acting? Uh, Mira, uh, I didn't. I Amber Heard, I've been a fan of ever since Pineapple Express. I mean, she's she's smoking hot. And she didn't look hot in this for some reason. And I think it's because of the, the wig, the, the terrible hair that they gave her. Yeah. And it's so distracting. I don't know if they were going for an aerial look, but they gave it just looked so fake because it was so red and it just didn't look like it matched with her face you know, at all. And then you had her acting on top of that. Um, I was actually excited when they cast her for this, but I did not like the execution. But then you gave Dolph, her dad this tiny little weak beard, you know, I thought that was a, a great casting choice, you know, for Dolph of, you know, he, he looks like, you know, a King Trident from Little Mermaid, you know, you, you can make him look like that, but have a big flowing red beard instead of this peasly little crap thing that they put on his face. Um, but I thought it was really good casting, but they just didn't give him enough to do with that, that role either. Yeah. I surprisingly liked Dolph too. I, I wasn't sure why we're experiencing the Dolph Renaissance with Creed two and Aquaman. But he's, I mean, cause he's, he's fine. He's awesome. Yeah. So, uh, worst beard Dolph in this or Obi-Wan in episode two. <laughs> Obi-Wan's is bad. Yeah, it is. <laughs> uh, but I'd need to see them side by side, but I think <laughs> Dolph's is almost like a blonde old red beard, like almost as if they didn't even bother to, give him a beard but it's kind of there yeah i think uh i think that'll be one of the first things i do when this comes out on digital is send you a picture of the obi-wan beard right next to the uh, <laughs> Dolph Lundgren beard I, I think the only other thing i have that i had to mention because it kind of bothered me so i i'm a i like movie music a lot and i actually liked some of the synth stuff that was happening in this it kind of gave a very 80s ish vibe but i felt like it was used so randomly like it's this weird combination in this movie of you know the the generic superhero orchestral score that's big and builds up and i mean none of it's memorable it's just kind of like trying to remember music from a marvel movie but then they would do this 80s stuff that was very synth heavy and i was like oh that's really cool but man it is kind of jarring when it would come on because they were just picking random places to put that in so for me i was just i know people have said they really like the score 
I would say there's certain songs on the score, certain tracks on the score that I like in isolation. But when you when you flow it all together, it, I don't know, it didn't work for me. And then this movie had the single worst song of any movie I've heard in 2018. When they're walking through Africa in the desert trying to find the old Atlantis building. And Pitbull has some song that samples Toto's Africa. They tried to get rid of me. But from ocean to ocean, they gonna have to deal with me. I've been overlooked, slept on, stepped on, left for dead, always against all eyes like Roxanne. I'm the living great Gatsby, but these boys are watching quick and disappear like Banksy. From ocean to ocean, sea to sea, I'm something that you gotta see. That came on, and I just wanted to like, I, I cringed so hard. It's like I wanted to put my head under my shirt. It's like I don't even want to be looking at this or see this or hear this because it's it's so bad. I can't believe they did. And this. You know, it's funny when I heard that. I'm like, how many people are going to remake Africa? <laughs> right, like this year. And not only did Pitbull do it, but there was one. I can't even think Weezer. of who. Weezery did it, but then there was a Christmas one where they changed the words but kept the theme. Ugh. That that they kept playing during the Christmas holiday. And I was like, that's Africa, but that's not what they're saying. <laughs> you know, so to me, so, so to me uh, you know, you're in Africa, you got to play an Africa song, right? Yeah, I, I guess. And it, 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 like, just play the original. Like, why did you have to have Pitbull covering that? Uh, even the original would have been way out of whack for this movie, but the, the Pitbull cover was just icing on the Maybe cake. Maybe they did. They one. played the original. They, you know what this needs? This needs Pitbull. Yeah, everything <laughs> needs more Pitbull. Mr. Worldwide. God. So we run out of things to say? We are running out of things to say, so let's get to it. I am Thor, son of Odin. As long as there is life in my breast, I am running out of things to say. Are you ready? All right. What did you rate it and why? I gave it a three and a half, but I'm uh, I'm probably closer to a three. Uh, definitely closer to a three than a four, but I, I felt like it deserved... Uh, a three and a half and I was just being too nitpicky again I was is it because I've seen so many movies that use these same plot devices which is why I wasn't impressed or is it just poorly written and I couldn't decide that only on one viewing so I need to see it again but that's where I landed was three and a half what about you yeah I'm right around there I'm at a three Um, although you know, in true Garrett fashion, I will say that um, I'm, I'm closer to a two and a half than I am a three and a half. Uh, I really struggle with why people love this movie so much. Um, I, I just don't see it. I don't think it's bad. And I, I'm definitely not saying it's, you know, one of the worst movies I've ever seen. I just, I have a hard time reconciling the people who are like, oh, this is a four and a half, five star movie. You know, one of the best comic book movies, definitely the best DC. I'm like, well, I, I don't, I don't get it. I just don't get it. To me, it's it's that weird feeling of a movie feeling very, very long, yet very rushed. Um, so the runtime, it, it's like it, it's too long, but yet they're trying to get through so much between Black Manta and all this Atlantean mythology and him finding the trident. And there's just, they're trying to cram so much into it, but yet you still feel like you're looking at your watch going, all right, how long is this going to go on? The, the worst comment I can say about this, but the one I feel is the most accurate, 
is that the these DC movies that are coming out um are, are like the most Brian Singer type movies, even though he has nothing to do with these. It, it's just like when I watch this, I, I walk out of it with the same feeling as when I watch like X Men Apocalypse, where I'm just like, yeah, tons of CG, generic story. You know, it is what it is. So I'm not really moved by it one way or the other. I, I, I don't overly hate it, but I, I didn't like it. And then I will say, like, I felt like what you saw in the trailer is what you got in the movie. So if you're one of those people who saw the trailer and was like, whoa, this looks incredible. I think this is going to be great. I bet you went into it and liked it. If you saw the trailer and were more like what me and you were like, which is like, yeah, I mean, okay. You know, the CGI is what it is. The story kind of looks okay. I like Momoa. I think you'll walk away saying the same things. So three for me well and and i'm a little conflicted on this because i love the fact that it's getting widespread praise because that means they're going to make more but i also hope that they don't say okay this is getting widespread praise so let's more let's mm-hmm. make more like this you know i want them to be better than this and so i don't want them to give up on making them uh, and so i like that they're getting they're making money but i want them to be held to a little bit higher standard on uh yeah on story and you know this movie is, I think it passed a billion dollars at worldwide box office. And, and that, you know, people should be proud of that. I mean, a movie making a billion dollars is crazy. But, you know, I will also say that, you know, I don't know how many people need to be told this, but, you know, box office isn't always indicative of, of quality, right? I mean, sure, I, I, I paid to go see it. You know, would I pay to see it again? I don't know. I mean, in a lot of these movies that make tons of money, especially overseas, are just kind of these big, huge CGI fests that, that you know aren't the biggest critical hits but you know people just kind of enjoy them for what they are and I, it congratulations to this movie for making a billion dollars but it's not something where i would be like well aquaman made a billion dollars so it must be the best superhero movie like i i don't think anybody should be saying that. <laughs> that's a great voice <laughs> um the uh and, and part of that's timing too nothing else really came out in december to challenge it and so that's a big movie watching month december and january so it doesn't surprise me that it made all sorts of money because no i mean if spider-verse had the hype and the marketing backing and all that stuff it would have crushed but it, it didn't have any of that it kind of had to go just pure word of mouth well end of the day that's still a cartoon you know and yeah, so exactly. it's as far as live action movies there there were no other action movies that competed with it so uh that didn't surprise me in the least that it it made what it made yeah good point all right so what was your favorite moment uh mine was when arthur and mira dive into the trench with a flare i just thought like that whole little setup I, i didn't like her playing the pan flute to start that scene i thought that was terrible but then it turns into like this really weird horror movie where james wan for like two minutes is like okay i gotta get my horror stuff in here and he did it and i thought that was pretty cool but then just the visuals of like they take this red flare and dive into the ocean. There's all these monsters. It's it's in the trailer, but there's a little bit more to it in the movie. I, I just thought that was a really cool moment. How about you? So mine was when he put on the actual Aquaman costume. And I really wish they kept that off the poster and in the out of the previews. Because uh, that was a really cool scene. And he looks pretty badass in it. I and mean, it's hard. I mean, you can put Momo in anything and he looks badass. But he actually pulls off the uh the orange and green and i thought that was pretty cool when you first saw him on screen with it uh so that's what i'm going with so what's one thing you would change and you can only pick one thing okay well i'll just say the script then (laughs) and maybe not just the script i guess i should say screenplay because i i not only just mean the dialogue i mean uh you know the events that move things along and like i said it was too long but too rushed like 
get some of that mythology out of there or tell it in a better way or get Manta out of there, right? Like it needs to be more efficient from a plot standpoint and it needs to be Momoa needs better dialogue. So I will say the screenplay. Well, that's, that's actually my mine as well. Um, and just the whole, the story, <laughs> the story was mine. Yeah. Uh, I was, I was fine with just about everything else. It's just why they're even there is the problem. Agreed. Yeah. So what, what casting change, who would you swap out? Well, so I, and for who? Yeah, that's tough because I, I went a different route. So I, I, I was trying to find a replacement for Patrick Wilson, because like I mentioned earlier, I felt like as a villain, he just was not what I wanted to be, but I struggled finding a replacement for him because it goes back to my issue with the screenplay. Like I, I, it's hard when you have something that's written really well and then somebody just doesn't quite encapsulate that and you can see what the character could have been, then it's easy to find that replacement. But with this one, I was like, well, I didn't really like Patrick Wilson, but I couldn't get enough of a grasp of what I felt like Orm should be to even recast. So my casting choice was actually just, get rid of Willem Dafoe. And that's not because Willem Dafoe was bad. It's just because, again, with the writing, I feel like, why cast Willem Dafoe in that if that's all you're going to have him do? So that that's what I fell back on. But I'm interested to hear you because uh, maybe you have a little bit more of a thought about a, a good recast. So what's yours? Well, then the two characters that I was going to recast, I had Amber Heard written down and Patrick Wilson. Those are the two performances that I thought were the worst that I could find somebody better. Um, but the problem with these uh, superhero movies is almost everyone has been cast one way or another in either DC or Marvel. And so it's like, OK, well, that's not a really, really a realistic choice. Um, so the one that I came with, which I, I don't even know if I like this, but the one I landed on to replace Patrick Wilson was Daniel Craig. So I put James Bond in there. OK, I could see that. I mean, again, he didn't have a lot to work with, but I've not seen him as a villain. And I thought maybe he could definitely I think he could do a better job than Patrick Wilson, but I don't know if it'd be exponentially. But that was my that was my swap out to hopefully have a better shot at that villain. Yeah, I could I could see that. Um, But again, like I I think generically, you could have literally said anybody and I'd have been like, yeah, okay, I can see that. (laughs) Jeff Daniels. Sure. Why not? (laughs) I mean, his his yell would have been just as kind of off putting as Patrick Wilson's. (laughs) <laughs> and i have no idea where jeff daniels came from but i don't either uh so what award would you give this movie uh well i kind of touched on it uh with a couple of my what would i change in the casting but i would give it worse screenplay I, I just i felt like the screenplay totally let this movie down you went you went straight negative i was trying to find a positive than mine and yes it is definitely worthy of worse screenplay but i went uh best underwater effects since abyss <laughs> I would have to really, really think about that because I feel like, I feel like the abyss, uh, for as much as it, um, you know, obviously had to be special effects. I feel like it was a lot of practical effects, and that that really comes through in a different way. Whereas when you CGI everything, um, it, it just has a completely different feel. So, I, and I'd have to think about that. I mean, clearly, there's not a lot of, you know predominantly underwater movies for us to to go off of but um yeah i'd have to think about that it's interesting yeah so that's why i got that award because i couldn't think of anything other than the the gungan city yeah exactly that's what i was gonna say every time i started thinking about the effects i was like well yeah it's the gungan city so i mean do i really think that atlantis looks that much better than the gungan city from 1999 like and i 
I'm sure it does, but like in my head, I was like, eh, I mean, I don't know, I guess. It was. It was better underwater effects than that. And so and I couldn't think of something that was better. So I went with uh, <laughs> I went with best underwater effects since Abyss. Okay. I, I'm going to research go. that one and see if I can come up with anything. But I'll, I'll take your word for it for now. I'm not, I'm not <laughs> challenging it now, maybe in a later episode. <laughs> All right. And so if you like this movie, you would also like what? Yeah, uh, you, you've said this, but Thor. Um, I, I, I like them probably about the same, maybe Thor a little bit more, but you know, there, there's obvious comparisons. You know, I, I get that Thor is not underwater or anything, but I was trying to take that element, but the story, uh, Hemsworth versus Momoa, it, it is, it, I, I, I feel like if you liked Aquaman, you would like Thor. I'd be, I'd really want to know why you wouldn't like Thor if you liked Aquaman. I'd want to talk to somebody who says that. Yeah, no, I agree. That, that's what I picked as well. I picked Thor. So if you liked if you liked this, you I think you for sure would like Thor. I mean, it doesn't have that grand battle if that's the only thing that you're you're looking for um, that they do at the end of of Aquaman, but that's the only thing I feel like it's missing. Yeah, I, yeah, that's a good point. The scale of Aquaman is clearly much bigger than what Thor's is. Um, you know, I know that Thor goes out to Asgard and and, and comes back, but like the movie still kind of feels compact, whereas you know, I will say Aquaman feels very large from where it travels. The ocean's really big. Everything is just bigger in Aquaman. So if that's something that appeals to you, that's, that's not really a vibe that Thor gives off. Agreed. Is that it? Are we, are we all good on Aquaman? Did we get it all off our chest? I think, think we're okay. Until Shazam. Okay here. Until Shazam. Oh, uh, speaking of Thor, did you know Shazam is in Thor too? Uh, Thor the Dark World. What, what is he in? Who is he? I know who plays him, but like, what is he in that he's movie? One, he's one of the Warriors 3. He's the replacement for Fendal. Oh, okay. It's been too long since I've seen The Dark World. Yeah. Watched it last night, saw his name in the credits, go, oh, that's just him. Yeah, so add him to the list of people who have been in Marvel and DC movies, because that list is actually growing. Well, Willem Dafoe. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, if we're done talking <laughs> Aquaman, <laughs> then I think we're done with the episode. So, like usual... Uh, go out to Twitter, Facebook. You can follow us anywhere on there. You can send us an email at twoviewsmovies at gmail.com. But the best thing you can do is go out to the Google Podcast or Apple Podcast, wherever you listen to the episode, and hit subscribe so that you get new episodes downloaded to your phone as soon as we release them. And the other big thing that helps us out is leave us a rating on one of those stores. Um, even if you aren't an Apple person, you can go out to iTunes on the web, I think, and leave us a review and leave us a comment. Let us know what you think. And that helps us out tremendously so we can keep churning out more and more episodes. So next week is Glass, right? Yes, Glass. So we both saw that this past weekend. I think we have lots of thoughts on that one. Hopefully uh, you guys will have a chance to see that before we talk about it. But go check it out and we'll have that episode out next week. I think we're good. We will catch you next time. What should we do next? Something good? Up a bad, bit of both, bit of both.